Dad Bod Rap Pod back once again in Zoom land. My name is Damone Carter, aka M1. I am joined on the line by Mr. David Ma, who appears to be indoors. He's not on the yard this week. <laughs> Solitary confinement. Um, how's it going, Dave? Yo, guys, it's uh, really good to be here. Uh, Operation Zoomsday, huh? Whoa! <laughs> I was saving that one all week. I know, damn it! <laughs> Miss you, bro. That's 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 quality. That's quality. It's right good here. to see you guys. It's good to see everyone. And also, we have uh, on the line in our weird Hollywood Squares reality that we live in right now, uh, Nate LeBlanc just got a fade from his wife, and I'm gonna say, looks lightweight, sharp. Looks pretty good. Thank you. Uh, big, big moment in the LeBlanc family. Uh, first, first home haircut. I told her she, she has now saved us 60 bucks a month moving forward. <laughs> That's dope. That's dope. good to be here though. Really glad to be doing this. This is like probably the most fun I get to have these days. So appreciate you guys uh, joining us and keeping the show rolling has been like a, a good outlet for my nerd energy that I need to have because Lucia does not want to talk about what order you should listen to Tupac albums in. <laughs> <laughs> We're right back at you, bud. Thanks for keeping this going. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And today's program, we have a special guest on the line with us. Uh, he is a freelance writer who writes about food, music, lifestyle, culture. He recently uh, dropped a piece in The Guardian about... Uh, a listener's guide to Tupac's canon. Uh, on the line, we have Thomas Hobbs, a.k.a. Tom. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, man. How are you guys? Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to get a bit of a dad bob myself. I feel like there's nothing to do but eat and uh, play video games right now, right? Like, even writing is tough, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Quarantine, uh... Quarantine weight is, is a real thing, but we're we're happy to have you have you on the line with us. Um, you recently had a piece in the Guardian about the uh, listener's guide to Tupac, which is really interesting in the sense that Tupac, as a cultural icon um, and musician, I think, and and Nate can kind of chime in on this too. I think his uh. His legacy has taken an interesting turn. Um, I, you know, vividly remember 1996 when, when he was murdered, there was a tangible sense that this was, you know, the great martyr of our era, right? Uh, for hip hop in general. Um, and just for the cult, you know, even I would say American youth culture. Um, and I would say, and, and Nate is kind of the lead contrarian on this, I would say over time, um, kind of the influence of his work and his stature in the culture has kind of waned or shifted or? I think it's more that he's become like a, a heroic, like mythical figure and he's not really talked about that much in terms of emceeing. Mm, right. Um, I've, it's we tend to focus on artists whose musical output moves yeah. us. And uh, Tupac for me is the music of my childhood. And so I think I see him differently than like a kid who's reacting to him as kind of like a martyr or a hero and not as 
not as a musician, like certainly not as a dancer for Digital Underground. Right. Not as like maybe an actor, but not really like as Bishop from Juice. You know what I mean? Um, but Tom, you tell us about your piece and where you were coming from with it and kind of like, let's, let's start to dig into the, the mythos and really what your piece is about is the music of Tupac. Yeah, I felt, I felt like you touched on a really good point there. I felt like the image of Tupac has kind of um, soured his musical legacy a little bit because people tend to see him as this kind of invincible icon rather than this uh, potent rapper. But I kind of really wanted to readdress that because, I mean, there's a lot of myths in hip-hop. You guys have heard the whole Tupac isn't a great lyricist myth. For me, it is, and I'm, just, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, like, kind of mince my words. Like, it's, it's bullshit not many rappers could could do what Pup did on If I Die Tonight. The alliteration on that track, you know, the, the way he, he comes on that track is is insane. And I think what Tupac did is he kind of made um, a conscious decision at some points, and, you know, from reading up on him, it does seem to be the case to almost kind of simplify his lyrics to drain more emotion out of his voice. So it's kind of like when you hear bars like, you know, even as a crack fiend, mama, you always was a black fiend. Like he could have made that more complex. He could have added a metaphor into that. He could have added an extra punchline. But like, would, would you have felt that pain? Would you have would you have felt that emotion? For me, you know, Tupac and Scarface in particular, and it's the reason why um, I really kind of wanted to mention them in the piece and get them on the playlist too. They're almost kind of the forefathers of emo rap. Like these guys are big emos. Like they are singing the blues just like Howlin' Wolf used to sing the blues. Like these guys were, um, you know, were showing you every kind of negative to positive emotion that they felt, um, making you kind of feel that pain. And you know, when, for me, when you see a Juice World or a Triple X Tentacion, and just how introspective that music is, like Tupac was almost kind of the precursor to that. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of feel like. Um, we are in an era where, you know, Tupac's legacy, he was a motor mouth. He was, he was, um, you know, he was so kind of, he pressed Biggie so much over the years that people almost kind of look at him as this bully type, this kind of, you know, fugged out death row, um, you know, concoction when the reality is, is his legacy is so much richer than that. You know, this guy put out three, three four albums before like, and every one of them is over an hour long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's that's real interesting. You brought up the um, the uh, Scarface kind of connection um, and this idea of, of the the emo rap thread, for I guess lack of a better term. Um, that it's it's an interesting perspective to take. I think that uh, part of the reason why Tupac's musical legacy is not held up like some other ones in this may sound slightly heretical, is I really feel like uh, the things, the reason why he got famous mm. had less and less to do with his music. So as a, I was a little, I'm a little bit older than Nate. Tupac was heartthrob from being in mm -hmm. movies. Uh, he was the first of this new brand of like, he took battle rapping and this whole idea of a battle to such circus-like proportion. So I remember the conversation when Tupac was dropping these albums being about, is he crazy? Um, is he contradictory? I think maybe something he doesn't get credit for is bringing dialectical thought to rap. He was like doing keep your head up and also having these wild misogynistic joints at the same time. Like he, he brought that 
He definitely. And, and let's not forget going to jail for sexual assault. Like that, that wouldn't play in today's marketplace the way it did back then. It was kind of like, damn, free Tupac. You know what I mean? And a, now a I think bit, a little would bit, be, but it I would do... be taken pretty differently. It adds, it adds a kind of complex um, undertone to his legacy. I mean, if I write about Tupac, I already know, like for The Guardian, 80% of the comments are going to be sexual assault, rapist, this, that. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's a very complex case, like without going into it, like clearly... Um, you know, Tupac was a kind of, he was a walking contradiction in many ways. You mentioned Keep Your Head Up, like he could have a, he could do a sex song, like How Do You Want It? And in the same verse, um, this C. Dolores Tucker, who's a, you know, like a prominent politician and kind of a hater of rap at the time. But for me, the fact that he had those such kind of blunt contradictions almost kind of made him more human. Like a lot of rappers felt um, so kind of polished or, or, or one thing rather than, rather than the other. But Tupac, he almost kind of showed that, um, you know, people aren't a monolith, like, you know, and so often in hip hop, like, especially black artists, the, the label system makes them one thing. But Tupac was whatever he wanted to be. And for me, that's kind of what gives his music this vibrancy because you can start off with Tupacalypse now and he's just raw revolutionary kid and i mean that's an album that doesn't get talked about enough you had dan quayle like you know doing press conferences about who's this menace who's this kid you know talking about wanting to kill crooked police officers and you know having these kind of uprisings in the community like it and you look at the journey from that to all eyes on me and seven day theory like that's five years but like what he packed in those five years i, I don't think many artists have packed into a five-year run. Like, m most artists take 20 years to go through those phases. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Hey, no, what's your uh, kind of take on Tupac's walking contradiction? I'm sorry? Oh, you what's your take on this kind of, like, Tupac and all of his various facets? I think, you know, when I hear that, it reminds me of uh, Ghostface, where, like, you can have one sentence where it's, like, deeply misogynistic and the next just totally devoted to womanhood. And, um, I, you know, with Tupac, you know, for me, the albums that struck me were Tupacalypse and Strictly. So those were the first ones for me. I mean, um, I love that Thomas uh, brought up If I Die Tonight, because the alliteration on that is ridiculous. And it's one of my favorite Tupac joints. But, um, you know, I wanted to throw this question out to Thomas. Um, your article, uh, good job, by the way. Uh, we just checked it out right before this. But... Um, what what are your impressions of the first two Pac albums? Because your your article sort of the jumping point for that is if I um is um me against Hello? the world. Yes, really? Yeah, Hello? he starts with me against the world and then jumps back to uh Tupacalypse. But I think a lot of people got on the Tupac train with uh an album title I cannot say strictly for my demon <laughs> right. <jumping> in here. <laughs> neighbors. For your neighbors. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like, for me, I felt like Tupac's earlier albums have actually aged really, really well. Like, clearly, he he's a kid that loves Public Enemy and that kind of boom bap noise rap sound. But like, you listen to a track like Violent, that's just like waves of distorted bass. And Tupac, like the storytelling on that, you can see how Jay Z would have taken that and pull it into Ninety Nine Problems. He's talking about a vivid description of back and forth with a cop. Like, he doesn't get enough. It goes back to what I'm saying. I I feel like. This is a 19-year-old kid on album number one, giving mm -hmm. you stories like violence, Brenda's got a baby, um, trapped. Like the, these are stories about people, black people going through the system. Um, 
that are so vivid, that are so kind of um, so relevant to the time right now. Like some of Tupac's music, I feel has aged badly. Like I watched the "I Ain't Mad at Yeah" video the other day, and the corny kind of like heaven set, you know, the martyr yeah. thing that was already building. But like, I felt like the earlier stuff, up to me against the world, is it, it really aged pretty pretty well because. Um, Puck was more of a rough diamond then. Um, you know what I mean? Like, he, he was rough around the edges. You could tell that, like, he was recording verses and keeping in imperfections and leaving it kind of badly mixed, but that's what kind of gave it that kind of heart. Do you know what I mean? But with, with Death Row, there was almost kind of a feeling that maybe it cheapened Tupac's image a little. Like, it made him more of an icon. It made him more of a sex symbol. But the polished Armani thug was kind of a bit of a, you know contradiction given how political and introspective he was before like when i listen to all eyes on me and i hear tupac laugh like it sounds a bit uncomfortable it sounds like he's kind of like he's puffing his chest out but that's not really him do you know what i mean yeah no that's you you bring up a great point about the death row era tupac in a way and this is how i felt at the time cheapening um the the really revolutionary style work he had done before Mm. um and so what what made it difficult for me to stick with Tupac th- during those years was I felt like he was leaning into um, a part of his image. I felt like it was it was a big act. It was a big show, this kind of, I am the larger than life, super thug, the hardest dude alive. Like when Ice Cube was the hardest dude alive, I completely believed it. Yeah. And I felt like, I felt like when Tupac was the hardest dude alive, it felt like it was the result of a meeting or something that they're like, "Hey, yo, if you." I know, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. I felt, I felt though with Tupac, like he did, he was prepared to live out his words. I mean, I, I wanted to get the thing in the, in mm. the piece in the two cops in Atlanta. Because, you know how many? Imagine today, right? You you logged onto Twitter and there was a news story about Kendrick Lamar shooting at two off-duty cops. Like how wild that would be! Like Tupac, yeah. um, he was. I felt like he, it, rightly or wrongly, he was prepared to kind of live this lifestyle, even though even if he wasn't authentically a part of it all the time. And that was kind of his big fault in the end. Like it was almost kind of Shug bailed him out of prison and he would do anything for him and ended up getting caught in, in gangbanging shit that he wasn't really a part of. But the fact that he, you know, uh, the fact that he was, he lived out his words, the fact that you can hear on me against the world, like my last words, cursing the law, like, and that's what he did. His last words were to say, fuck you to a police officer. It gives him this romanticism. I, I think okay. rappers have, um, and rightly or wrongly that romanticism, I guess is what carries it his legend on in a way, I guess. So at this point in the conversation, I'd like to introduce a theory and I have to credit it to um, Sun Ra, who is um, S-O-N-R-A-W. He's a past DBRP guest and someone we often um, chat with on Twitter and um, a music writer, et cetera. And he has this theory that I think is really interesting that for a lot of people, and I, I think particularly younger people, Tupac is their Bob Marley it's like he's like a guy on the poster who represents like this kind of archetype of being a thug or being hard or like saying fuck the law etc and it's it's very interesting you, i guess each generation gets the bob marley they deserve like bob marley's <laughs> message is one of love and hope and togetherness and like his music is uplifting and that suited the 70s 80s 90s 
I had a I had a Bob Marley poster on my wall when I came in, and my grandma came into my room one day when I was a teenager, and she was just like, oh, we've reached that phase, huh? And then just like <laughs> walked back out. She was a savage, by the way. Um, and she was right. Um, but my point is, um, I think the that legend and that piece of Pox legend, especially that thing that you just brought up, Tom, about his last words being, fuck you, I'm not going to snitch, I'm not going to tell the cops who killed me, I'm going to go out like a writer, <laughs> is really inspiring to people, probably in a bad way overall for society, but it's certainly thought of more than his music in terms of what Tupac is. Yeah. And I just have to just posit this. Say what you will. I agree that he's a good rapper, even if he's not like a super scientifical kind of like super cadence guy, like much like Scarface. The Scarface comparison is very apt, but you have to admit there's a lot of filler on those last records, like especially the double albums. There's there's a lot of filler. So it, it I, makes it tough for me to interact with them as documents. I felt like All Eyes on Me is um, a vastly overrated record. I felt like there's there's moments on that album where it's just too polished. Like Tupac was was kind of like Nas in a way like they're, they're best on beats that allow their voice to be um, the star of the show like when when you put them on production that's too slick um, it almost kind of takes away from you know what makes them so great but I do think that Tupac brought it back with Seven Day Theory like I feel like I mean if it, I'm sure you guys know the background for that but that the idea for that record was for it to be a mixtape purely for the hood it was going to be uh, sold out the mum and pop stores in LA and he was already kind of pioneering this idea of the street mixtape in 96. He wanted this album to kind of uh, get passed through different communities rather than, you know, be, be put out in the usual way. And for me on that record, you could see, I mean, we, we spoke about the lyrical question. For me on that album, you could see he was elevating as a lyricist. There's a line, you listen to a track like Blasphemy and you listen to, you know, his cadences and his wordplay, like comparing you know, smoking a joint to split in the Red Sea like Moses. Like, his metaphors were just becoming, for me, um, a bit more sophisticated than All Eyes On Me. And the reason that was happening was because that record was made with the kind of producers that sat in the basement at Death Row. This wasn't Daz, this wasn't Dre, this wasn't DJ Quick. These were the guys who were, you know, like up and coming producers. And that for me allowed Tupac to be free again, a bit more as a vocalist, as a lyricist. For me, when, when, when you make Tupac too slick, he, um, he doesn't quite sound at home on those beats as he does when he's backed by, do you know what I mean? Quite distorted, raw, boom bap soul you know jazzier music like it's great hearing them over dre beats but i'm kind of glad that we didn't hear more of that do you know what i mean mm. Mm. that's 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 interesting um dave we uh, we talked to we talked to easy moby very right right very he was early. one of the few producers who worked with biggie and tupac Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, I remember in that interview and also Miles Davis, Easy Mo is a wild dude. Right. So I remember, I remember in that interview when we were doing that, thinking about just this thing that, that Thomas has brought up is like, um, there's multiple phases, right? There's like California love Tupac. And right. Um, you know, the strictly Tupac. And then there's, you know, there's, there's very different phases for you, Dave, like, what what phase of Tupac's work to you you feel still resonates today? For me, I think what makes his legacy completely undeniable is the first album. 
just Tupacalypse Now, I think his most artful moments, at least personally, to me, are, are, is off of that. I mean, you have uh, Brenda's Got a Baby, which is probably one of the darkest, but yet best storytelling rap songs of all time. Um, and, and, like you, and like you mentioned earlier, Thomas, I mean, he was just 19 years old. So, I mean, you know, th that album should be, get com should be compared to the um, debut of like a Rakim or um, even Nas, but it sort of gets overlooked because you think of Tupac and he's sort of this, this ageless wonder who is the same dude on Above the Rim, um, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like, uh, uh, like um, Damone pointed out. So um, I wanted to throw it back at you guys. Uh, what are your guys' favorite um, iterations of Pac? Nate? Uh, I just, I'm just here to tell my Tupac stories. I don't even really want to have a conversation. I just have to get out all this content. Um, I got strictly for my N-words for Christmas in my stocking as a present from my sister when I was 13 years old. And it scared the shit out of my liberal parents. They were like, what is going on with me? Like, wh where is this road taking him? Little did he know one day I would have a, you know, minorly successful underground rap podcast because I did all this research for 30 years before I started talking about it. But um, I just wanted to say like um, the Tupacalypse now is closer to a Paris album than it is to any kind of gangster oh, rap right. album. Uh, Paris had like the militancy and the kind of dark bass heavy beatscapes that tinged on mob music, but took it in a more underground direction. And so I think very few people talk about Paris in any kind of rap conversation now. So I'm just like wanting to bring him back up. And just while, since I'm home, I just went over and checked my record shelf for Tupac records. I have a California love 12 inch that I'll probably never play again, unless I get invited to DJ at a barbecue and somehow for some reason, accept. and, uh, and I get around 12 inch, which I get around is one of the great rap songs. It's one of the great party rap songs. Ugh. It has a great video. And it uh, just uses sampling and layering in a way that's completely fascinating. And I, I just think I like fun Tupac. I'm not. A, I'm not a writer. I'm not like out to no people or like maraud the streets. Like I just like I. I think it's um it's a little reductive to say, but I think when he was inhabiting what I feel is his best character, which is like art school student militant Black Panther Tupac. That's where I connect. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's. That's uh let's call that his Jada Pinkett era. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree, Nate. I, I feel like uh, on Strictly, he, he had, um, he was dipping his toe into something more of the kind of thug life aesthetic, but it hadn't gone so far that um, it, it was completely where he ended up. And so that for me always resonated. I, I made people listen to that album um, some we haven't talked about with Tupac is his his regionality, which is something that Drake gets destroyed for for kind of being from Toronto and Houston and a million the UK and a, a bunch of other places. But Memphis, Memphis, Tupac had that same ability yeah. to where if you're from the Bay, you feel like he's from the Bay, and if you're from LA, you feel like he's from LA. And New Yorkers claim Tupac as well. Even and, Baltimore. <laughs> and, and yeah, and exactly. And he's from. I went to a business conference in Baltimore last year and they were playing, um, I think it was Keep Your Head Up. And I was like, we're in a conference room of a downtown waterfront Baltimore hotel. Like, why is Tupac a part of this at all? And I remember yeah. texting my coworkers and they were like, 
somebody was like, oh, Tupac went to high school in Baltimore and they claim him super hard. I had no idea. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I guess that regionality though speaks to the walking contradiction stuff that we said before. Like, but mm-hmm. equally, like for me, that just kind of gives him a deeper musical palette because even on all, all eyes on me, you hear those kind of, you hear E40 pop up on, you yeah. know, Ain't Hard to Find, which has got that real kind of slightly quirky, goofy, East Coast, uh, sorry, a uh, West Coast Bay Area sound, but then like, then you've got him rapping over like really slick LA beats. You've got like, you've got uh, No More Pain, which sounds like a kind of <laughs> boom bap East, East Coast beat. I think, I think with Tupac, he, he 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 could do anything. He could put on any mask and be comfortable. And some people look at that as a weakness, but for me, in a way, it's it's kind of a strength. It's what makes the music compelling because you don't kind of know what direction it's going to go in. Um and I feel like part like I mean you look at an artist today like Freddie Gibbs for me Gibbs is the is the closest we've got to someone like Tupac's Breath Control because to to put that level of passion in your lyrics um, and to have that kind of interplay with your flow and to keep it up it it doesn't get enough credit for me like part. Puck's breath control, first and foremost, is insane. Like, it, for people that say Puck can't rap, that Tupac's not the lyricist that, you know, X or, or Z is, like, I've not heard many artists combine that um, that passion, but also that complexity of breath control, of, of storytelling. Um, yeah, like, sorry to bring it back to the lyrical question, because I know it's been spoken about so often, but... I do feel like Tupac is still vastly underrated as a lyricist. I, I feel like on Seven Day Theory, um, you did see an evolution in his lyrical capabilities. And I kind of feel like th- this idea that Biggie is leagues ahead of Tupac in every way. Like, as a lyricist, there's no question Big, Big's cadences, Big's technicality was on a le- another level to Tupac. But Big, Biggie couldn't do a lot of things Tupac could do. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like, I feel like t- we need to have these conversations because... Just, just because Tupac at the moment, it's not cool to kind of go out of your way to uh, to hold him up, let's say, as a top-tier lyricist. I do feel like five, ten years from now, that could shift. Like, there's many things about him that doesn't don't segue into the kind of politically correct era that we're in. But when that starts to fade, the bluntness of a Tupac who just said whatever was on his mind might start feel a bit more kind of timely than it does at the moment. That yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. It's like how how will his catalog age? And I think uh, the, the strongest arguments for the the lasting legacy of Tupac, I think, is what you mentioned, is the emo rap thread that came in his wake. I, I know the the triple X kid and cats like that grew up on uh, Tupac and and definitely borrow from that legacy. I think the the only argument against, and I said this to many people when we start to get into the Big and Tupac thing, um, on the main, Biggie's records were mixed and mastered better. They sound better in the club. They sound better on the radio. Mm. They they have, you listen to a Going Back to Cali, it smacks in such a way that that Barrier Radio plays it every day. And I, there's not a lot of Tupac songs like that, and that's not really a knock on him. Yeah, as yeah. much as the. Uh, but I think I think one thing we haven't spoken about here is 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 his work rate. I mean, Puck would be in the studio and he would pump out yeah ten so- ten songs in a day, and the template of that is the reason we have um, a future or Little Wayne mixtape run. Absolutely. 
it's the reason we have an O-Free Greedo putting out, you know, seven, eight mixtapes in two years. Like, right. Tupac um, wasn't a fan of, of sitting in the studio and mixing everything. And that, that urgency is almost kind of his biggest strength. And I felt like All Eyes On Me, even though his vocals were recorded a lot, like, from what I've read, like, that was the album that had the most amount of mixing and mastering. And that might be the reason why, do you know what I mean, Pat lost a bit of what he had before on that record. Like, he's incredible on that record at times. But, like, yeah, Tupac was, for me, best when he sounded a bit choppy, when he sounded a bit raw. Like, I want to hear Tupac sound like he's being mixed through a, a broken tape machine. Like, because if, if you don't, that, for me, is, like, that's not Pat. Do you know what I mean? Like, Pat needs to sound like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I totally, Nate? Can I just say, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think of him in the same class as Biggie and like perhaps it's just my internal biases. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I think I'm one of those people that doesn't consider Tupac to be among the top tier of the kind of rappers that I like. He's clearly one of hip hop's most prominent cultural figures. Yeah. I like a lot of his music. Like I've said a couple of times, I grew up with it and like I have like strong emotional connection to the very beginning of his career and um, watched his rocket kind of take off and become like everyone's hero, not just ours in the Bay Area. So I, I'm tied to that. But And it's not that he's not a good technical rapper. I just think Biggie is on such a different level. And I think it, it sort of gets at what you guys are talking about, about the technical aspects of the music making. One, Biggie's image is crystallized in what's essentially three LPs, the Ready to Die and then the two LPs of Life After Death. And there's other bits and bobs here and there and some features, but uh, like James Dean is going to go down as the greatest of all time. He's got about three starring movie roles, right? <laughs> it's like you, you get lucky to crystallize when you had your best work. Pac's insane work ethic, which has led to a lot of um, trends in rap that personally don't, don't really work for me. I'm an album person, not a mixtape person. And Pac was doing like Little Wayne mixtape run level, insane, like just lyrical, acrobatic, mm. crazy storytelling on real studio albums, which is just not really suited for. So it would have been interesting to watch him adapt. I would say though, like, do you listen to me against the world and not hear a classic album? Like, like that, I mean, that- It that is, it clearly is, it clearly is. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying it's not. Um, I'm saying it's kind of a chore to listen to. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah, it's, and that, that's just me. It's quiet. I just, yeah, sorry, I was gonna say, I just wondered though if the posthumous, the posthumous marketing of Tupac has killed how we listen to his- Absolutely. Um, he dropped when he was alive, like for me, Absolutely. I, I think back to that awful Loyal to the Game record that Eminem produced and you got Tupac like saying, what up, Jody Kiss, and they've changed his voice. And, and some of those records were terrible. Like, and, and, and the sole purpose of those records was to make him into this kind of, um, this kind of angelic, um, almost like Dalai Lama, peaceful kind of, you know, like philosophical guy. It didn't, reflect the contradictions of part much anymore um and you know you had ghetto gospel where elton john was singing on the fucking chorus like there was a real bad run and like bruce hornby like, was involved yeah. at some point yeah, yeah. <laughs> i felt like that I, obviously plays into some of yeah. my feelings about him i worked in a record store when all those records were coming out and it's like uh, sadly for me and it was a bad attitude to have i would get turned off by large swaths of artists by their yeah. fans it's just like these idiots would just come in and ask me for that new Pac or that new yeah. Jacka album or that new like 
whatever, Insane Clown Posse, probably the worst part of this, and we don't have to get into that. But um, I'm like, if that's who's listening to this, that is not for me. Yeah. Um, so I kind of hear what you're saying. But I do want to bring Dave back into this. Like, Dave, I know, no. I think I know how you feel about this, but like Pac versus Biggie as as lyricists, as as MCs, like, what, what do you think? You know what? I mean, Pac, I, 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 the, I don't think I can say anything that isn't, that hasn't already been said. But Pac, I mean, certainly the presence and the voice and the breath control, like Thomas, said, like Thomas mentioned, um, I think are incredible. But um, in terms of what I look for in rap, in terms of technical ability, um, I don't think you can fuck with, uh, you can't fuck with Biggie and he's clearly on, on a different tier. Now, that doesn't make his records better. To me, they do. But, and, and to Damone's point as well, I mean, th those Biggie records are just, are just impeccable the way they sound. Um, mm. And sometimes when a, pop when a pop song comes on, I'm just like, yeah, it's another pop song, Thug Tears, next song. You know, yeah. so, yeah. and that, that's no diss to what he did culturally, because um, like Nate said, he is Bob Marley. You know what I mean? Um, he is that face that you get when you walk into like um, a head shop, you know, but and you know, I they they sell his you know they sell denim jackets with his face painted on it. I mean, he is clearly a cultural figure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, if we're if we're if we're talking MC level, God level, tier level, I gotta go with Biggie. There's no question that Big's the the better lyricist. I mean, how many times have we heard Pop rhyme Hennessy with enemies and right, <laughs> you know, right? You know, there's certain, exactly. there's, you know, what I mean, there's sound bars that come up a lot. But I think that speaks more to the work rate and just him banging out songs. But one thing I would add is. Uh, Big never replied to Hit 'em Up. Big never replied on Wax to any of those songs. Now, it, when Jay-Z and Nas were the two biggest rappers in the game and they responded to one another. Now, you could say that Tupac went to a level um, which, <laughs> which kind of was so personal that it was probably a, a sensible decision not to respond. But I also kind of feel like that beef's been misunderstood. This idea that Tupac was a bully, like, I felt like when Tupac was in prison, like, you know, the battery was kind of put in his back to come out and go on the warpath. But I do feel like Big, you know, people defend Big, but Biggie should have responded on Wax to Tupac. But, but, but he did, though. But he did, though. He in did, the, but he in did. In the with... classical East Coast old school way. He said, I'm not going to say your name. So he's, I'm flaming at Eamon Gatz, fucking maniacs that say my name in rap. Is That's that a clap? Is that... Like, I'm never going to say Tupac. I'm too classically east coast trained I, we don't say the names of the people and tupac took it to another level of like i fucked your wife how's that <laughs> you know what i mean that that's the dichotomy there you know what i mean yeah. that's kind of like yeah the 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 craftsman to me big big is like a, a duke ellington very classy alfred hitchcock <laughs> of, of an art form and tupac is like uh almost punk rock and sensibility like, fuck all the rules, fuck everybody. I actually hate you and I actually love you. Like, he was so mm. over the top that if there's an argument to be made in this, in this context, I think it's that the way Pac went about uh, rapping has carried over more than the way Biggie did. Biggie is a, is a, comes from a classical school of rapping that cats don't even do it like that anymore. Like, mm the way that Pac went about his career is the way that rappers do it now, for better or for worse. Um, so maybe, perhaps that's the greatest argument for his legacy right, right now. Nate, Nate LeBlanc. Uh, Tom, did you consider Pac's 
movie career when you were writing this and kind of like the timing of things as he got famous? I did. So I've, um, I've written about Juice in depth before and actually interviewed the director, um, Ernest Dickerson, I think it is. And yeah. Uh, it, yeah, classic, classic film. There's no question that the character of Bishop um, <laughs> was, was, was an archetype that Tupac took to heart and carried out. Like, there's no question that that changed his image. But I do also, I mean, I think this is a, it's a good strand of conversation because I do think Park is vastly underrated as an actor too. Um, the people I... I've spoken to about, I mean, Gridlock's a good example. Gridlock is him opposite Tim Roth, who is a classically trained Shakespearean actor. He's been in Tarantino movies. Like he's a, he's a top actor and Puck, you know, never looks out of place in that movie. Like he had a magnetic charisma that worked well on the screen, but I guess that's always going to lead people to think how much was he acting, you know, musically, like the whole idea of the studio fug, is wrapped up in, in a little way in Tupac, but uh, yeah, I feel like the acting plays a part. You're right. Like the Bishop character in particular, arguably is what created kind of fug life um, superhero that we see afterwards. But I will go back to what I said before in that a lot of artists that do that, or you think of a Ja Rule or whoever who have become these super fug archetypes aren't necessarily prepared to, um, to live out what, what they talk about and park at various you know, various times, which adds a really interesting layer to all this, really was prepared to do that. And I kind of feel like that is always going to make his legend um, <laughs> unfadable because how many, how many rappers of that era would actually go out and shoot at two cops who harassed a black motorist? Like, how many people in that era um, would, would, would put the names of politicians in their lyrics? Um, I mean, he was doing braver stuff than we give him credit for, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, thank you, and I and I agree with a lot of what you said, and I love the Pac never got over being Bishop, and it changed his life theory. I think that's yeah. fascinating. Um, I kind of want to head in a slightly different direction as we're reaching our time limit here, and um, I, I would love it if we could go Damone, Dave, and then give Tom the last word. If Pac had not died, what do you think his music would be like these days, or his like role in the culture would be like these days? Ooh. So Damone, Dave, Tom. All right. Um, that is a that is a great question. Um, I I was thinking about and was thinking about posing to the group who who carries that mantle today. Who's the closest? And and Thomas, your 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 Freddie Gibbs um, uh, comparison is really interesting in terms of breath control. Um, if Pac was still alive, I think, um, and I think this about Biggie too. Um, I think they would be something like an E40 is. I think they would be super well-respected. I think they would probably have settled down a bit um, in terms of the, the wildness of the mid nineties. Um, I think they would be legacy artists who are well-respected, but probably not revered um, in the way that we do because they died when they were young. Like I just, I feel like we would respect them. They would be cool. They would have some dud albums out there. Biggie would be singing a lot. Like there would be, um, there would be weird stuff going on. There would be weird releases, but we would respect them as, as elders in the way that we do a Scarface or an E40 or, or anything like that. Um, but they would not, he would not be the, the poster, the Che Guevara of our generation, Pac. I don't think would 
would be a thing. Also, I think some of his legal stuff would cast negatively on him if were were he were he still alive. Dave, Dave, you're on the yard. What do you think? You know what I. I, I see a few comparisons, but to me, I think he would have just gone the straight acting route and would have been sort of more like um, like an Ice Cube or Ice-T, where okay. you know, they're going to have some celebrated albums. I think maybe another cheesy album or a couple songs with Dr. Dre was, would have been in the picture. But um, yeah, I think he would have just gone entrepreneur, acting, and uh, you know, would just do an, an, an occasional uh, an appearance doing uh california love at a mall law you said law and order puck wow <laughs> <laughs> wow okay okay uh thomas we'll we'll end we'll end with you what do you what do you think so we, so we got biggie singing on marshmallow songs and we've got tupac and lauren Orla. This is, yeah. um i would say i'd say the acting definitely would have intensified no question about that but I felt like Tupac was in love with the art of rapping and the competition of rap. Um, and knowing his plans with the One Nation album, um, which was a plan to unite the East and the West Coast, you had the whole of the boot camp click on there. Um, and I've spoken to Buckshot at length. And from what I understand, like Biggie and Tupac, that phone call for them to repair their relationship was weeks away. Like it was weeks away. Like him and Nas had patched things up. You know, there were people on. Um, you know, in the bootcamp click side that we're trying to mediate with Big. Like, I felt like that album would have been a monster. And I felt like, um, I felt like Pup would never have ran away from rapping completely. I felt like he would have continued to put out records. And I felt like we're misunderstanding his, um, not misunderstanding, sorry, we're, we're underrating his kind of pop culture iconography. Like, a, a, an artist like that doesn't just disappear into irrelevance like overnight like i felt like he would have still put out albums but whether or not tupac would have been the same relevant force 10 years into his career as he would have been five years into his career is interesting because you know you see the you see how much hip-hop changes in the oos like you see how much the the sounds of the beats change like and you look at Puck's production and you wonder if he would have became that guy who was a bit of a remnant of the past um, and acting would have become the kind of lead thing. But I do feel like for the rest of the two, you know, rest of the nineties up to the 2000, like he still would have, he still would have been a dominant force. Like this was a guy who was very competitive. I don't think he could have sat back and watched um, big J Nas like dominate purely on, on their own accord. Like he would have, he would have wanted to have done as much as possible to, to carry on with that. And I think Seven Day Theory is a record that people should listen to. I love dark, paranoid music, um, whether it's Yeezus or, um, you know, Veteran by JPEG Mafia. Like that that sound, like Puck was, Puck was kind of putting a really kind of dark sound um, out there with that record. Like tracks like Blasphemy, tracks like you know, Hail Mary, they're almost kind of schizophrenic, they're paranoid, they're scary, they're macabre, you know, there's there's a real kind of dread that, that, that carries through those tracks. Like, I, I felt like he would have continued to make very cinematic music in that direction. I don't think you drop that as your last album and then just like, um, you know, stop making potent music. Like that, we've spoken about All Eyes On Me being underrated, uh, sorry, overrated. And I, that's something I very much agree with. But I think Seven Day Theory is very underrated. I think that's, you know, that's the record which 
which gives us a clear indicator of Tupac elevating as a lyricist. Um, and, you know, we haven't spoken about it. He went after Jay-Z. He went after Prodigy. He went after Big. He went after everyone. Now, you could they say that... all of our people. Yeah. You, you could say that these are all superior MCs, and I would probably agree with you, but um, a man that goes after all those artists isn't going to just... Um, you know, stop wanting to be the, the top rapper in the world. Pup wanted to be the best rapper in the world. And I felt like we would have had more classic albums, but we'd also have seen him fall off probably around the 2000s. That's super interesting. And just, I know I said I would give Tom the last word, but I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> uh, fame is cumulative. And that's something that came up when all of you guys were describing the scenarios in which Tupac would, would, would have continued to be a relevant cultural figure. He would probably be more famous than ever. And I think if if he were still alive today, I actually am leaning more towards the entrepreneur route. Like I wonder, because everyone has to break up with Suge Knight eventually. Um, <laughs> there's no way you continue the rest of your 40-year career with that guy yeah. taking, taking a big percentage of the money. So I think acting in some kind of business play would have been the right thing. But um, yeah, just this was really interesting. Tom, thank Absolutely. you for bringing some passion and some insight. And like, you've clearly listened to his music in a different way than I have. And it's really been informative for me. And I'm going to I'm gonna download Machiavelli and uh, listen to it again um, under this, this new kind of set of ears because it's been a while. Um, One thing yeah. I really wanted to get, your, get you guys' view on just before we head off, like you mentioned Suge there. Um, <laughs> I've been grappling with this for a while. This idea that, that Suge's figure is the bogeyman, uh, demonic entity of hip-hop that almost kind of led Tupac to a death, ordered the hit on Biggie. Um, there's no question that the guy, um, <laughs> you know, this is a guy who made his enemies drink urine. Like, there's horrible stories hanging vanilla ice off a balcony. But I also wonder if, if Suge doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, De Death Row was the template of the Black-owned label. Um, you know, he shook up the major label system in a way that we haven't kind of seen since. And I wonder if, uh, I do wonder if Suge is, the way we kind of demonize Suge, um, he, he, you know, TDE would have taken a lot from the way Suge ran that company. Um, yeah. There's lots of modern labels that would have. And you know, maybe this is another, you know, another podcast idea, but like, I felt like this idea that Suge was just one thing is quite limiting. Like Tupac, um, you know, arguably, reached another level as a kind of pop star and as an icon under Shook's tutorage. And you could say a lot of artists did from Dre to Snoop. Like, oh, I, felt like I, I felt like Shook pulled the strings more than people give him credit for, you know? And I think, I think there's a, there's an interview with, with Snoop Dogg where he basically says that, that Snoop, uh, that uh, Shook was the best business person that he ever knew. And also the worst business person that he ever knew. Mm. So it's kind of like, his 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 role as an accelerant in the careers of artists who are like super bankable that we know from this day is unquestioned. Um, I do also know through very tangential dealings with the the music industry, his tactics were quickly and swiftly outlawed. Like um, this idea, Ice Cube talks about this. This idea that when you make your your white business partners in a meeting feel uncomfortable when they're afraid of you you just, you end up not being able to do business anymore. And yeah. I think the corporatization of hip hop was actually accelerated by how uh, Suge strong-armed his way through the industry in the early 90s. 
and was able to pump fear and things. And I think it really changes a lot of things. I think the reason every rapper has a really deep security detail is because it should. Yeah. Rappers don't run into each other anymore. There's no more, like, there's Israeli business firms that get a lot of money to make sure that you never have these rap camps coming into contact. And so Suge's legacy is very broad and, and very varied. And uh, just he, like his suits. <laughs> yeah, but but like but like Very but the same thing. the same kind of conversation like Puffy kind of gets put as this kind of like soft figure, but Puffy yeah. had his hand in the streets just as much as oh, Suge. Sure. Like Bad Boy's whole kind of security detail in the nineties were, were crips. Like yeah. you know there were they, yeah. they, they, there were street stuff on both sides, and I kind of feel like yeah, there's definitely a more nuanced conversation there about him not being the only kind of like. Do you know what I mean? Dark yeah. kind of force in that in that beef or that bi-coastal beef. But it's been really, really fun talking, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. appreciate it, man. Yeah, this Let's, is this uh, was dope. Everybody, please go check out uh, uh, Tom's piece on the Guardian. Uh, it's part of the listeners' guide series, so they have uh, different artists kind of work as profiled, uh, and you kind of get a, a roadmap to how to go listen to it. Which, to Nate's point, I'm also going to do. Because it's been a while on some of these, uh, on some of these Pac records. Um, so Tennessee yeah, enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee and enemies is in my mind right now. Um, so we we thank Tom for coming on. Uh, we have an interview coming up after our break with um, with an artist who is the art rap Tupac. I don't know. I'm searching. I'm searching for it. Not really. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Quale Chris, um, who's Nate. What's the name of the album? That's a good question. Innocent Country Two, I believe. It's a uh, collaborative album with uh, keyboard player and beatmaker Chris Keys. Um, yes. So we we have been sitting on this interview for quite a while. Uh, we interviewed Quale Chris back in the before times when we used to actually be in the same room. We were at the record store, as you guys recall. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering how it's going to play because it's been so long. But we were, well, I love Quale Chris. I got the chance to review his album Guns in the Passion of the Weiss uh, 2019 best of list. So I spent a lot of time with that album. So I wanted to talk to him a little bit about that. And um, I just, I think he's one of our most interesting current artists. Um, mm. He's a polymath, he's an MC, he's a producer, he's an animator, he's um, a cultural figure. He has a series of collaborations with his wife, um, you know, world famous MC Jean Grey. And um, he's just a really, really interesting person. And he um, was in a weird place on tour and took the time to speak to us. So I remember when tour was a thing and when yeah, yeah, scheduled yeah. interviews because of tour. Exactly. Um, this is a wild. deep cut, but what, we were supposed to talk to Ali Shaheed Muhammad once, but he got stuck in Canadian customs. That just is unthinkable now that uh, <laughs> they would have to beg out of an interview with us because they were somewhere besides their house. But anyway um yeah quelle chris uh super interesting i hope you guys enjoy this and uh, again thank you tom very much uh this was fun thanks guys thank you man
All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod, another dope interview lined up for y'all. On the line, we have Quelle Chris. How's it going, man? It's going all right. How's it going, man? We're good. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Living the dream. Uh, where are you at right living now? Living the dream. <laughs> but the, I guess, uh, living the dream is a crazy thing to say. You know, <laughs> no, nah, because I'd be doing like wild, crazy shit in my dreams. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you y'all living, y'all flying around, and you know, yep. we we dream about sitting in the back of a record store talking to rappers. Yeah, what <laughs> a much. what a yeah, we we what try a to dream crazy, <laughs> what a nightmare. You know? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, you asked the question. What was yeah, that? yeah? Uh, where are you at right now? Like physically located? We are, we are, we are literally uh, sliding right into San Francisco, or not San Francisco, Sacramento. Me and uh, oh, Sands and Zoo and uh, and uh, Zone. Sick. Yeah. Okay, we're about ninety miles from you right now. That's yeah. dope. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. Walk, walk over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll pull up. Meet you at Circle. Hey, K. stop! Hey, stop on by, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You had a a really good year last year. We did our um our top albums of 2019 and and Guns was definitely up there. Um how can you talk a little bit about how the the concept for that came together cuz it's for me was one of the better concept albums in rap that I've heard in some time. Like did that start off as a as an idea that you just kept expanding on or did it come together after a collection of tracks? Um yeah it it uh it uh was so like it's it started off in a few forms. I can't remember if I was calling it guns in my head, but it was technically that same general mm-hmm. idea. Um what what ended up be what ended up becoming is like uh, uh, the the album was initially supposed to be a bunch of uh, sh- shorter, small pieces, mm-hmm. all but all different, you know. Um, and ultimately, what it ended up becoming was a shorter, a lesser amount of long pieces. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it was st- it still was the same album, which was. You know, initially the thing was I just wanted to make something. You know, I look, I love categories, but sometimes I feel like people just like forget that I like to bar up on motherfuckers and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah. And I, you know, because people get, and, and I, you know, like being you is great is a beautiful album. And I, that's, you know, that's also how I feel most days too. But I think a lot of people just kind of, you know, forget the the versatility of a lot of the things I do, and not forget are a lot of people just aren't aware because you know, just like me, I've Pink. Listen, uh, Pink makes a- full albums. The artist Pink makes mm-hmm. entire albums. I can I I don't know what songs are actually on Pink <laughs> albums, so I understand that yeah. a lot of people don't have any idea of you know how vast. So I just wanted to do an album, and the initial idea of Guns was I just wanted to do an album where. You you know where ultimately I'm I'm laying out the artillery. You know what I mean. Mm. I'm pulling out a different gun on okay. each on each joint, um, and then you know, and the underlying themes and things and the uh, link between songs and so on and so forth, um, you know, is there as well. But that was kind of the initial idea. So I was like, I'm just gonna bar up on them like 50 songs, and then. <laughs> 
But then I made, uh, but then um, I heard the beat for the song that ended up being the title song. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, once you once I made that, uh, you know, I was telling Chris, I was like, well, now, now this has to be a completely different album. Because really? you can't have, yeah, because you can't, I mean, it just couldn't be the same album that I initially started. Okay. It couldn't, not with those, you know what I mean? Mm. If you want, because I like albums. Yeah. And I, albums don't, you know, a lot of people feel like when you make an album, it means that each song has to sound the fucking same, which is so annoying. And it happens right. like all the time, right. especially in hip hop. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I'm looking for the things that go well together and yeah. complement each other and tell a story and so on and so forth. So, you know, yeah, once I made Ivy in your city, once I made that shit, it was just it, the, the, the sonic, the texture of that song. I just, you know, I couldn't make the the uh, a, the bag of dicks that I was initially gonna give you. You know what I mean? Uh, but but kinda? but yeah yeah no you 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 bag up dicks on there. Uh, you know, no, songs yeah, like that, that, mind your business. You know, like you. There's there's yeah. sacks. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not. It was. It just wasn't like the. the uh, it wasn't the same like kind of um, uh, so turned grossness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it ended up becoming a far prettier album, which which I love as well. You yeah, know what I mean? there oh, are wow. there are some really pretty moments, kind of in among yeah, yeah. everything. Um, I guess I I would love to ask you while we have you, um, how do you decide which songs you're gonna do videos for? Because I think you're unique in that you can produce a song, rap a song, do a video for a song, do the album art. Like you're just you're just kind of a self-contained artist you can you can yeah. do, you if you choose to you could do, you could do everything that needs to be expressed for a particular idea so that's, how that's do save you... the label a lot of money yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. right. um so i guess what i what i'm asking is how do you decide where to put your efforts given that you can do all of that um at time it's usually just boils down to time accessibility mm. um sanity you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Money, money, money. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like your parents used to say, you know, you'd be like, but like you, you clearly have money. You're, you're an adult and you realize, and now as an adult, you realize what they meant was you just don't, you know right. what I mean? You yeah. can't, you Not can't spend it on anything that you actually want to spend it on. So, um, you know, so it boils down to, you know, budget and so on and so forth as well. And then, you know, uh, uh, opportunity and you if the opportunity is there you take it and ultimately you know because of uh, factor one time you know sometimes you just ain't got the time to talk to nobody about shit you know what i mean right. just like i just gotta do it you know okay right, right. Hey, well like, i got um i got a question about um everything's fine um the album you did with uh, your partner a couple years ago um yeah you know, I can I can barely agree on on dinner with my partner. Um, how, how what was the process like? You know, um, without getting too personal, putting together um, like a creative project with your partner. I mean, it, it was easy. I mean, you know, me and Gene have done tons of things together prior to everything. But I mean, we've made albums together. Mm-hmm. You know, we had uh, the I swear to God, which was you know some rap shit and. We had, you know, we have the That's Not How You Do That albums that Gene put out. Um, and so, and we've done uh, plays and we had, 
we, yeah, we wrote like Goonies 2. We wrote uh, we did uh, that live. We did um we did a uh, Ghostbusters uh, two and a half, two point five. Um, yeah, so like you know, and we yeah, tons of things I could go on and on. So prior to that, we uh, we have already worked together in a wide variety, of, you know, ways. So it really wasn't that hard, and we're both we're both professionals, right. me and my wife. So you know, I mean, it, uh, but it was it was just, it was really just more. Um, more awesome because even though we did i swear to god which was more of a which was a house recording um you know it was my first time actually seeing gene because i did all the beats on i swear to god Mm -hmm. it was my first time like seeing her like sit and make beats you know what i mean and um knowing where she was at at the point and where she's at now with her relationship with uh, the music industry and hip-hop in general you know it was also just an honor for her to you know, uh, to to lace up her bootstraps one more time and see her work because you know I, I have a lot more of a loose. Um, I allow a lot more nuance and jeans more precise. Mm-hmm. So it's just awesome to see how she works. You know, and I and, and see her in a booth and you know get to get to catch one last glimpse before she you know essentially burned that cabin to the ground. You know. Oh really? So is it? That's the last we've seen of her in in kind of the rap hip hop mode. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure. Like I'm, I don't know if it's like in her Twitter profile. Check. I'm pretty sure that bitch says like, "Don't don't ask me about rap." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. No, I saw she was at a, and I couldn't get tickets for the show, but I saw she was doing the fake TED talks at SF Sketchfest. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, couple, yeah. Couple weekends ago, so it's it's kind of dope that you guys are are both in just a lot of different kind of spaces, right? Like not not just music, but everything around that. So as we look at 2020, what what do you have coming up? Like, what is your is there some? How do you follow up Guns? Hey, you just making you just making another good album, you know? Yeah. It's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, uh, one second. I know y'all recording. You're just going to have to record this. I didn't get the text. I didn't get the text. I didn't get the text. Email. Email. Boom. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, you just, you, uh, uh, you just, you just make another good album. Like, I mean, you know, and the other thing is a lot of people don't realize this. And it's not like, I know, it's not like this for everyone. I know a lot of artists that work the same way. Um, but I, you know, I'm one of those type of people where like, you know, even upon making guns or even, you know, with what's coming up next, like, and I already have, you know, another project with a homie that's pretty much done. I have another Mm -hmm. project that's done. Um, I have another, I'm already working on the one, the one after the next one, you know what I'm saying? Love and then, you know, and not to mention the countless projects that just probably won't ever come out. So, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and so it's always funny because, like, people, like, will sometimes will, will respond to a song and kind of go like, yo, like, he's catching, like, so-and-so, so-and-so vibes, you know, on this one. And it's, and I'll be kind of laughing to myself because I'm like, I made this song, like, four years before that shit even came out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's for me, it's almost, you know, you know, man, you know, Dr. Manhattan-ish where it's like, you know, 
time doesn't exist. So like people will be like, how do you follow it up? But to me, it's not following up. It's almost just a continuation, mm. you know, uh, or, uh, you know, attenuation or uh, sometimes a reprise or sometimes, you know, uh, me just simply making something that has to ferment for a while because, you know, when I'm, a, I'm one of those artists that I, I face this a lot. A lot of people, you know, listen to things and they go, you know, I don't, you know, I don't get it. Or I don't know. And it's not like, it's not like I'm doing anything fucking crazy, but, and we were just, we were just talking about this in the car. It's just, it's, it's as simple as, uh, uh, a lot of people listen to music, um, uh, in a way that they're, they're, they, they, they're listening for their expectations. Yes. And, that, and, and, you know, um, and which is, which is normal. You know, it's like food, you know, and different things. Until you taste it, until you get used to it, yep. it, it doesn't make sense. Or you listen to music from different cultures, you know, yeah. their their rhythms to them sound normal as hell. It might sound off to someone that's not used to it. Mm -hmm. So I do understand. So there's a lot of times that, you know, I know that when I'm releasing something, um, I know it's great. But I know mm -hmm. a lot of times people, a lot of not a lot of people, but there's going to be a high percentage of people that just won't like it until a couple albums later. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it was going to take some time because ultimately they're going to have to start hearing a couple people that heard the album that come out a year later that start rapping kind of like that. And then as there's more people and they hear things that are similar and they hear me a couple more times, and then maybe they hear some rapper that they like say something about me so now when they go back and listen to it they have a positive uh entrance into it again mm -hmm. and all these stupid factors and the list goes on and on <laughs> that that go into someone not just simply hearing a song as a good song uh without all this because like there's a, a a song that i the the song i just dropped the sudden death i'm getting a lot of people i'm seeing a lot of people go like oh man it feels like a long intro or like it's just you know uh, <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? Like, when does the song start? I like no. I like I saw. I've seen a few people. Like, it doesn't have no verses. I'm like, it's got three verses. I'm like, I'm wait, I'm like, I was waiting for quality to start. Like, I started. I started like a few seconds into the song. But it, but the thing is that they're not listening openly. Right. They're listening with expectation. Right. So you're never gonna. You know, you're always just gonna only listen to the same fucking song over and over because all you're looking for. Is the song that you already won't expect to hear. It's like McDonald's, which I get it because I go to McDonald's too. And I go there because I know it's going to be exactly what I want. Right. But then sometimes I like going to a restaurant and also enjoying food and fare that uh, I'm not familiar with. Right. And that's not that's not everybody's thing, which is OK, but it doesn't mean that the shit ain't good. Right. But mm -hmm. all I say that a very long winded uh, to a uh, way of just saying that um, I follow it up the same way i uh lead into it you mm -hmm. know it's the same thing um i'm gonna ask you kind of a two-part question and i'll just see how you take it i i want to ask mm. you who you think your peers are and on the other flip side of that <coughs> who do you think you're in competition with in terms of rapping and like kind of like who who do you consider as like on your level in the rap game um, I mean, if you see me, if you see me rock with them, then likely, yeah. you know, I do. Mm. That I think that's a good way to find out rather than me listing people. Sure. I mean, my favorite MC is always gonna be Denmark. I mean, until yeah. someone uh, topples them, but I don't, you know, I just don't foresee that anytime yeah. soon. 
Um, and uh, and what, what was the what was the second part? I, I just it? wondered if you you Who considered it to be kind of a friendly competition. Like, are you looking at oh like, oh a yeah, woods or right. a mock and kind of trying to top what they did, or do you consider that when you're working on your own stuff? Always, I'm always trying to top. I, you know, what I mean, if I I was just in the lab with Wes, you know, what I mean, and his verse was cold as hell. But of course, wow. I was like, I'm about to, I'm about to, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. It only benefits I'm about, us, I'm about the listener. To fuck this shit up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, ultimately, it's kind of in, intrinsically a part of the of uh, the the initial culture of hip hop now. You know, as as the world matures, which it it, it does extremely slow, mm. uh, but as the world matures, you know, people in general, there's more of a culture of uh, of concern and and uh, cooperation, which mm. is nice. You know what I mean? So you know, even in, like you take like basketball, you know, and everybody's like, you know, the players don't beef as much anymore, which is true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Publicly, maybe. If anything, it's just because, you know, everything is, is more public now. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, um, but I still, I'm still very old school in my, uh, <laughs> in my thoughts of, of hip hop. And we, you know, we discuss this openly. I will, I'll be talking to a homie and be like, yeah, you know what I mean? You know, I've definitely said that to Drew a handful of times yeah, in the yeah. last year. Like, oh yeah, just that's cool. That's uh, that's a nice verse. Just wait until I hop on that bitch. You know what I mean? But and, and I, but he says the same names. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just because yeah. it's like that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's funny because I when you were talking about because we should always want to get better. Oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah. That's a cold one. Yeah, where it it does have that vibe of like cats trying. You know, obviously Sandman is very high level. Uh, mm-hmm. Droog, but do you feel like? Um, do you feel like you've been given, I don't know, I hate to say credit because you just talked about it, how it's really hard for folks to catch on to your stuff, but do you feel like you've got your proper due in the game for all the work that you've kind of put in and all the projects you released over the years? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh, not at all. Not at all, but that's okay. I mean, honestly, you know, as as uh, debt works, you know, uh, the I mean, the probability of me ever feeling like I'm getting my just due is is low. So I mean, it's it's I you think it's dangerous. It for, yeah, it's well, I mean, it's dangerous for me to even kind of view things that way because I'm just always going to be ultimately disappointed. You know, mm-hmm. but um, you know, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's things that at this point that I've already kind of, you know, I'm not going to be on like the cover of the source, you know, yeah, things yeah, like yeah. there's certain goals that I had, you know, as a youth that I, that I don't even think it, that don't even really exist anymore. But, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm one of them. I want to get a fucking Grammy, you know, I'm not, yeah, I want yeah, to, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get one. And, uh, you know, like things like that. Cause I, I, I still think that stuff is, is uh special, even though, you know, as the as the eyes of the world are more revealed, you know, people are realizing that it's all kind of stupid. But I'm, you know, I'm kind of stupid too, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, yeah. but yeah, no. Uh, do I do I think at this point? No, 
but you know, you know, like it's kind of one of those things too. And I never like to, cause it's hard. Cause sometimes people will come to me with like some real positive stuff and I'll give a kind of like facetious response and I'll be like, Oh, you don't appreciate. And it's like, I do. I do, you know what I mean? But you, you know, you have to understand, and I don't say this, uh, um, I don't say this uh, with, with any lack of humility that, you know, since, since the dawn of me, you know, uh, definitely like uh, fully stepping into deciding that, you know, this is just what I'm going to do. This is a, clearly, this is just me and I don't have a choice. Um, mm -hmm. And fully stepping into that and then growing and maturing within that and learning how to use it to also make sure that I'm being a responsible functioning adult. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the whole process, you know, you just, you start to, uh, you know, I've, 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 in that, in that process, I've, I've gotten the accolades from like, most most of the artists and most of the producers and and writers and and rappers and entertainers and performers and actors and comedians and all that all this type of stuff that I admired right. you know mm -hmm. when I was young and you know a lot of people don't you know this stuff doesn't and especially pre twitter and stuff like this just this stuff just you know people don't know so like to me, it's, it's kind of like different, you know, because like the idea of success, ultimately, the things that I would have viewed as like a pinnacle of success, mm -hmm. like teenage me, mm -hmm. that I would I would have retired uh, like 12 years ago. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Because I'd be yeah. like, oh, shit, I already did it, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't. You know what I mean? So I don't you know, it's, it's, it's constantly it's, the idea of success is also constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just kind of I think it's unattainable. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's uh, feeling like I'm getting my just due. I don't think I don't think it's obtainable. So I've just decided that that shit's never going to happen mm -hmm. and just continue, you know, continue fostering and learning and trying to just become a better artist and uh, hopefully having some sort of positive impact on the spirit and the spells that are cast within this uh, genre of music and uh, the uh, parallel genre of music. See, Quelle Chris, giving y'all bars. <laughs> giving y'all life advice. <laughs> All the artists here listening to the Dad Bard Rap Pod. Um, so you're Ooh. out on tour the bigger, out right away. now. Go ahead, go ahead. Wait, wait. Uh, the 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 biggest in response to that last thing, the biggest piece of advice I give any artist is uh, listen to everybody, but don't listen to fucking nobody. But my advice is isn't isn't necessarily gonna apply to your career because everyone's is different. It's, different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's your way of saying you're not me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, give up. It's my way of saying give up. No. Hey, kid, don't quit your day. No, 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 no. <laughs> cool. So um, you're out on tour with Homeboy Sandman right now. I guess um, yeah. something we ask artists when we're able to connect with them when they're on tour is what what can one expect from the Quelle Chris stage show? Like, are you doing things from all eras, all albums? Are you focusing on new stuff? Do you have a DJ? Are you triggering samples? Like, what's the show like? I, I run a I run a pretty good gamut of albums, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of people are again uh, kind of going back to an early statement. A lot of people are like uh, sometimes surprised that I'm a rapper. Not as much anymore, 
But like, you know, a lot of people used to kind of come and be like, yeah, I thought it was going to be a lot more subtle. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, shoot, and they be wrong. I'm sorry, I'm smoking weed right now. That's, That's why okay. I laugh was yeah. so, no was so red fox. But yeah, no, like a lot, <laughs> like you know, a lot of times people like they don't, you know, because like, again, you know, there's a there's there's kind of a, you know there's a disconnect sometimes, and but it's good. So uh, uh, it's it's one what it goes one of two ways, but it always ends the same. Either they didn't expect it. Or they expected it, but uh, but everybody's always pleased at okay. the end. Um, so okay. just just come come expecting a, a fantastic show, uh, expecting to uh, leave almost as if you you're leaving like a, 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 a your first uh, actually good family reunion. You know what I mean <laughs> with a family that you didn't even know you had. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's okay. a beautiful experience and, okay. and 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 it's 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 wildly and beautifully complimented by Sandman's performance, yeah. which is also just a master class and and um and so many facets of hip hop, um, primarily breath control. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's there it is. That's a, a monster show coming to a town near you. Quale Chris, we really appreciate you coming on the program, man. Ah, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, you, you dad bods. You know? <laughs> I just um, I just acquired mine within the last like what four years or something. Welcome. Shit's, I, it took me a while. It took me a while to figure it out, but I figured it out. I figured it out uh, within the last like six months. I figured this motherfucker out, and, uh, and now and now I'm rocking. Now I know how to rock the dad bod on point. So the metabolism slows and the brain grows. Yeah, and, yeah. And then you get next, a cardigan, and that's, yeah, and that's next, how that goes. Next time I'm on the show, we're just gonna have to do like Quelle's tips on how to perfect your dad bod. You know? <laughs> talking. Now we're talking. For, for for him, her, and they, you know what I mean. This, <laughs> this is for everyone. This advice is for everyone. That's right. It's Yo, twenty. Man, it's twenty so twenty. Much. Thank you so much, that man. Was Appreciate awesome, you, man. Thank you. Thank you, y'all. Uh, holla at me if you ever need anything. Peace, love, all that shit. Peace, Quella. Peace. Peace. Dabod Rap Pod, that was our interview with Quale Chris, uh, which feels like deep Geraldo Al Capone's vault type shit, because this was right. done a month plus ago in in current years. It feels like three years ago, but uh, super cool cat, super funny, like one of those guys where you're like, oh, you're smarter than me. <laughs> I remember that interview being like, oh. You're you're way ahead on every question that I intend to ask. Um, right, right. So super super cool dude. Uh, took time out of a, a smoke break to to rap with us, and so I uh, appreciate him coming on. The album still has not dropped. This has been a source of mild uh, anticipation, irritation for me because the singles have been so good. Um, and so supposedly the album comes out on tomorrow. If I, right. Since this is evergreen content, that is April 24th. 
April 24th. Okay, so we're looking forward to that. Um, and we really appreciate him coming on the program. So hopefully you have been uh, keeping well, shelter in place, whatever lockdown looks like in your neck of the woods. We would just like to remind y'all that in addition to providing incredible rap punditry, uh, you also got your back on sex toy discounts because, because that's how we roll. So this ad that Dave brought to us uh, from some of his contacts for adamandeve.com, uh, <laughs> you use the, the promo code. What is the promo code, Dave? Are you talking? I, I have no idea, dog. Bruh, you don't have to front, man. Like, you don't understand <laughs> the promo codes. Like, you don't fuck with Adam and Eve like that, man. Promo code DadBod, which promo I can't code. believe was not taken already by some other entity who does this, right? these Adam and Eve ads. <laughs> yes, Dave. The promo code is DadBod. Stop fronting like you don't have it copy-pasted. Uh, so, promo code DadBod at AdamandEve.com. What I've heard, because I don't visit such places, but what I've heard is that you get uh, 10 free gifts when you use the dad bod uh, promo code. Um, gifts with a T, not just some like sexual gifts of like looping <laughs> images on the internet. But we'll send those too if you enter the code. No, uh, you get 10 free gifts and uh, up to 50% off on a lot of uh, products in, in their online store. So um, you're not going to be dating for a while. Uh, these, none of these will give you COVID. Um, so definitely hit up adamandeve.com, promo code DADBOD. I think there's a space between there, Dad space bod. I believe that's the case as well. Right? When you, when you ordered Dave, that was the case? Dad's <laughs> I just do the bulk order. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so shout out to uh, Adam and Eve, um, our, our first our first spot, and I enjoy the fuck out of doing the promos. Um, also, we want to shout out uh, literally Podcast Network. Um, we are proud members of the Pantheon Network. There are fifty plus shows, um, all music related. So we definitely encourage you guys to check out uh, Pantheon Podcast Network. Everything that goes down there. We, AdBod Rap Pod, exist in many forms on the internet, and sometimes you get to see teachable moments, like when Nate learned who Vaster is. Um, uh, oh, a little so embarrassing. A little it's, it's about embarrassing. education here. This is a learning online learning hub. Of uh, <laughs> we make factual errors on every single show, and sometimes people point them out in a nice way, and sometimes people point them out in a dickish way. But doing it on Twitter, just while I'm tagging Ooh. every famous <laughs> 2000s rapper yes, I yes. really admire, kind of fucked up my Saturday and like stopped the, the momentum of the thread in its tracks because instead of looking at the rest of the post, they just stop where you made the mistake and go, like, Okay, idiot. But oh, you know what? Live and learn. Well, well, LP chimed in, which I thought was great. Uh, yes, right. to admonish me. Yeah, I thought it was light. <laughs> it was chill. He yeah, right into your cold thing. He, he could have Linda tripped me. Nice. Ouch. <laughs> no. 
Good. That's very well played. Um, that so all of the above, Nate's shame and embarrassment is is just another reason to check out our uh, our Twitter feed um, at and our Instagram, where you can see little corners of the record collection, including uh, records right as the postman drops them off. I hit them with a Clorox wipe and bust out the phone camera, and um, I, I always try to follow up a post of what interview we did with a record that I have from the person. If I have it some weeks, mm -hmm. that's not the case. I try to make it. So it is the case. And sometimes when we get a good guest or like a guest kind of more from the era where they put out a lot of different singles, I'll show like a whole range. Like I had to use all 10 slides to do the doom records. Um, <laughs> and if someday we do a De La Soul episode or we can get someone from De La, I have many, many gems to share, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's fun. And, uh, generally speaking, if you're seeing us on Twitter, it's Damone's voice. And if you're seeing us on Instagram, it's my voice. I don't know if anyone cares about that, but generally well, speaking. Well, well, nice. hold on. I know who Vastair is. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a dick. I, have, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked him out of a photo either. Oh, my God. He, the, especially, like, I had never heard of Cannibal Ox at that time. Cold right. Vein was about a year away from coming out. And I thought I made clear in the post, I was first time in Amsterdam level high. When I was doing it, when I was posting it, I was also so a little a little forgiveness. I don't know what these fools look like. That's the whole point of being underground. <laughs> oh my god, that is so good. So definitely check us out um, in on Twitter at DadBodRapPod, IG at DadBodRapPod. You can stream the podcast on all of the dope platforms. Uh, special shout out to our UK syndication partner, uh, Kiki.co.uk, um, and yeah. Thanks again to Thomas Hobbs for coming on the program. Uh, that was super that dope. That was cool. That was fun. Also want to give a shout out to Edu XL for the beats on today's show. He's got a new tape, Loops from the MP, available on his Bandcamp. That's E-D-D-O-U-X-L.bandcamp.com. He is a real-life friend and a very talented beat maker. Um, go and give his stuff a spin. And, of course, shout out to Tom Hobbs. Yeah, his article is really good. Check that out in the Guardian. Dave, you got any uh, any Flav articles coming out? I, um, you know what, I uh, I do. I actually was just on the phone with Black Thought a couple days ago. Hate you. Oh, normal stuff. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> Dave, this is my Tuesday. I talked to Black Thought. <laughs> Dave Flex. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't really um, prepared to talk about it, but yeah, we um, we've been scheduling it for a minute and it was going to be for vibe magazine and uh, as we know as we know that all these uh, all these layoffs and stuff happened so i'm uh, okay. currently gonna have it on another platform which uh, i'll uh, i'll discuss later once that's solidified but yeah man it was an amazing talk we only focused on his writing his writing acumen, his writing process, all that, and he gave he gave the goods. It was amazing. That's so cool, man. I cannot wait to read that. Uh, thank you, guys. That's what about you, Damon? Do you have anything to plug? Um, uh, no, my artist life is in shambles because of COVID. Um, no, I, 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 I shouldn't say that. I'm very fortunate going to be doing um, uh, an online performance for kids at a Santa Clara University. So I had a gig on May 6th there that got canceled and it's been scheduled as a, as a Zoom thing. So I'll come back and let you know how weird it is to perform for people. What rhymes with Jesuit? Jesuit. 
what about you, Nate? Are you working on anything you're excited about or anything cool to? Uh, I have made a recent writing connection that I'm not quite ready to talk about, but it's going to be an internal thing for a rap crew that I really respect. And uh, hopefully more news on that soon. Don't want to jinx it, but uh, really, really cool thing bubbling right now. Nice. Awesome. Very much looking forward to that. Thanks, guys. We're, we're doing our best to stay safe and stay productive and healthy and, and all that good shit. Uh, we appreciate y'all patronage uh, of the program. And, you know, as long as Nate doesn't get COVID, we are going to be going. And maybe even if he does. It, maybe even <laughs> if I do, depending on the symptoms. The funny thing has been because I'm using my computer for work so much, sometimes it's really slow and like has the spinning beach ball of death. And I'm like, is this it? Is this the moment we lose everything? Like everything oh, no. is on this machine. Like I really shouldn't be talking about this. I'm probably jinxing it. I'm going to do a hard drive backup right after we Thank get you. off the phone here. Thank but um, yeah, that would be the thing that would stop our momentum. Okay. So we need y'all to really, really buy these butt plugs. On, <laughs> uh, so we could get some new gear. If you like this program, um, <laughs> shout out to Nate for holding it down. Dave, hope you're doing well in prison. Uh, Thank you guys. We you guys too. Great to hear from you. Next week, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Mm-hmm.